Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, it cares Levert. It's cold. Levert. Back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over at, on, on Apple Podcasts and be sure to read us over on Indie Cornrows as well. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. I am very excited today to be joined by someone whose work I really admire to talk about a prospect that uh, I have really enjoyed in the scouting process. Um, and that's Ignacio Risotto from over at ID Prospects. They do fantastic work uh, in, in covering the, the international prospects in the NBA draft. I think that they are a must follow if you are trying to keep up with anything going on uh, in terms of uh, youth basketball and just the, the the guys coming up into the draft in general. Uh, Ignacio, how are you doing today, man? Well, thank, first, thank you so much for like the kind words. And yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, it's actually after I think one year of not having many international competitions, we're in the middle of FIBA summer. And that's, that's what it's I, been awesome, man. It's yeah, been so yeah, great. That's what I live for. Uh, we had the under 19 World Cup last week uh, on Monday, under 20 European championships are starting. And then we are all the way through late August with under 18 Europe, under 16 Europe, under 16 Africa and under 16 America. So, and maybe some other tournaments that I might have missed there. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be, it's kind of hectic because we also have the NBA draft and we're trying to follow, you know, international prospects as they go to summer league. So uh, yeah, a hectic time of the year, but just so happy that we finally have a ton of basketball and a ton of prospects to evaluate. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the, the under 19 tournament was awesome. Like, I think this was the first time where we saw people who aren't necessarily as involved in scouting get a real dose of Victor Wembanyama, which was awesome uh, in in every way, shape, and form uh, to see him just totally eviscerate the American team. Um, I mean, Chet Holmgren is projected to be close to the number one pick in the 2022 draft, and I mean, Victor, who is two years younger, won't be draft eligible till 2023, was clearly the better prospect, like without a doubt. Um, it was impressive on all fronts. Uh, it, and this is my first time really getting into, um, you know, seeing some of the, the FIBA games, watching uh, U19 stuff, watching. I mean, I've watched more like some of the EYBL, watching, uh, you know, high school games. Uh, it is a totally different environment. Like, it's just it's so different seeing how, how the things work out developmentally. Yeah. And two things. The first is like seeing people who are like you said, generally watching international prospects, you know, watching Victor and coming away with that with the, I think overwhelmingly, overwhelming majority of people are now thinking that Victor is the best prospect in the world, which I do. Um, and just coming into Twitter every day and seeing my timeline full of Victor clips was like, to yeah. me, it was like, uh, 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 they grow up so fast type of moment. Yeah. You know, uh, because I've been watching Victor since since 2019. Obviously, people from France and etc. have watched it before me. But like to me, watching him for the past two years and 
you know, him getting to this moment where he's presented to the entire world was kind of uh, kind of an exciting moment. And it's it's funny about the FIBA environment because I think, and this year we have in the draft, I think a, a particularly interesting case in where FIBA at times is one of the best environments to really see what a player can do at an NBA level. Mm-hmm. And especially for U.S. players. And, and the case I'm talking about is, is Jalen Green. Um, Jalen Green played two different FIBA tournaments, played 2018 FIBA Under-18 Americas, and then played the Under-19 World Cup in 2019. And he was excellent in both of those, those tournaments. And obviously, I lost track of him. I don't watch high school basketball. Um, like I said, once they're on the U.S., they're out of my jurisdiction. And so I, I, I start seeing the, the discourse around Jalen Green this year. And a ton, of t- a, a ton of things that I saw in both tournaments, like the passing ability, the shooting. Obviously, Jalen was known for his athleticism, his length. Um, but also his defense, um, seeing it mentioned as, as things he has improved on, to me was no surprise because like that's the player I saw at FIBA. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I always go back to watching player in multiple contexts. And I think if you follow players through AAU and through high school and through college, maybe watch them in FIBA as well because it can give you another piece of content, a uh, context, sorry, and another piece of the puzzle to really put together and see what the player could be at an NBA level. And I think Jalen is, is, is a fantastic example of that because to me, he showed in FIBA exactly what he ended up being projected in this draft. No, that's such a great point. And I, uh, I think that's something that I've tried to pull away in scouting too. And just in general with basketball, like, The context is so important for everything, but getting it and trying to kind of like I I equate scouting or trying to understand, um, you know, I'm still relatively new to scouting, but just looking at basketball in general, I look at it in terms of like if you go to the eye doctor and they're gauging what your 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 vision is and you're doing one or two and you keep getting like multiple of those. That's how I look at basketball. I think you have to get as many different lenses as possible to sort through everything and um get a better perspective on it. And like applying FIBA has been huge, huge for that. Um, one prospect who, who we are here to talk about today that has really been somebody who I've tried to look through uh, on, on different contexts is, is Roko Prakashin uh, out of Chibona. And uh, he plays in Chibona. He's from Croatia. Uh, I believe the second youngest player in the draft behind Jaden Springer. Um, he is someone I am extremely high on. Uh, I really wanted to have you on to talk about him because there was mention a couple of days ago that he might with the, it's not for sure, but he's still contemplating whether or not he'll stay in the draft. I think just for my own biases that he should stay in the draft because he is most definitely a draftable player right now. Um, for people who have not watched him, he is a, uh, a three, four, more of a combo forward right now. He could play either spot. Probably he's very much so a tweener in terms of his offensive skill set right now. Um, defensively is where I think I am most impressed with him. Uh, there's a lot to really like there. He's probably about, I think he measured at six, seven and a half uh, out of shoes at the combine uh, with about a six eleven wingspan. Um, there's a lot that we can get started with, with him, but I'll ask you right off the bat. I mean, what is your impression been of him so far following him on the international scene? 
yeah so not to get too deep into this because we're we're gonna i think break down every every part of this yeah. game but with Rocco and to come with a little bit of history here i think his breakthrough performance was back in 2018 he was named mvp of the 2018 under 16 european championships uh, where he led Croatia to a gold medal against Spain and against another prospect in this draft in Usman Garuba. Um, and then since then, the conversation had always been with this 2002 uh, generation. Um, okay, is Garuba or Perkacin number one, right? And I think we saw this conversation all the way up until early this year where other names started popping up, um, especially Schengen, who had been a player ranked in the top 10 of European or international players and then just took a massive leap this year. Um, and the, the thing I will say about Rocco is he's the youngest player in this draft or the youngest player of those international players projected to be drafted in the first round. But he's one of the more battle-tested guys. Um, he has, I think, two and a half full seasons of professional basketball at a high level, uh, especially when you consider someone 16-year-old, 17-year-old playing at uh, the Adriatic League and the Croatian First Division. Uh, obviously, the Adriatic League is, is a whole other level than Croatian First Division, but when you consider where Uh, Garuba and Schengen and Giri were when they were 16, 17 year, year olds. Schengen was second division in Turkey. Giri was still playing with NBA Academy and Garuba was playing fourth division of Spain. And you have Rocco being younger than all of them, but also being super battle tested and, you know, uh, being a, becoming an integral part of that Tabona team. Uh, in time so I think a lot of things like that's super positive in, in the sense that you know he has found his role in a professional team and you know he's helping his team win but at the same time I, I don't know since that under 16 tournament I don't know if he has developed as much as I expected and that's where the multiple contexts come in and maybe a different type of context would be somewhere where he could show more stuff. But I, I guess my intro on him is that he's been doing this for a long time and maybe I could have, I would have expected a bit more development in certain areas and I'm, I, 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 where I'm a bit on the fence and that's why I'm going to be, I think maybe a little bit less optimistic on him than you are. That's okay. So this is really interesting because I had, um, so obviously I have not watched him prior to this year. This is my first time really diving into him. Um, and one, I mean, he pops on tape for me, uh, quite a bit. And that's an interesting point to bring up. Like I, cause I, I was not aware of what his development's been like recently. Um, like I know there was potential lottery hype a little bit last year and that died down. Um, There, he's risen up boards a little bit recently, but he's, I mean, just looking across the way people are talking, I mean, even just in, in, among international prospects, he is by far the most widely ranged. Like I see people put him in the second round. I see people who saying undrafted free agent. I see people who have him like, I mean, for me, I have him in the lottery. Um, 
so it's interesting trying to gauge that perspective. And it feels like, I mean, having different lenses that you're looking at him would definitely have that impact. Um, I think for him, like, I, all right, so let's start off with um, looking at, at what he does defensively, because I think that's why I'm most enamored with him. Our mutual friend, PD Webb wrote a fantastic piece about Rocco um, and why he's so intriguing to me is just in terms of the way the NBA has evolved looking at guys who are versatile forwards that are able to be kind of uh, turnkeys is maybe the wrong way to put it, but guys who are able to come in and they allow you to unlock multiple lineups, uh, play in a versatile way and just keep things moving in a way that is difficult to, because there just aren't a lot of guys who are um, six foot eight, six foot nine that can hang on both ends of the floor without being a negative Um, in terms of defense, like Rocco brings uh really good ground coverage. Like, uh, I mean, he's not an elite length player, but like he, he moves very well for his size. He's got good mobility. He plays more like a wing slash forward than a big, even though he's a, a bigger body. Um, and the, what also is impressive is like the tenacity he plays with on defense. Um, like, I think one of the best comments I ever got, I posted a, a, a Rocco clip recently and somebody said that he plays uh, with the audacity of Jokic with less of the talent. And I was like, that's a pretty good way to put it because nobody's <laughs> as talented as Jokic, but like he is a very audacious player on both ends. Like he wants to beat you. He's willing to jump for it. Like if they're, if, I mean, if he's going to get dunked on, he does not care. He's going to try and stop the ball. And I appreciate things like that, which is not a reason to draft him higher, but it's just worth having that, uh, that context in there. Um, like I see him defensively as I, I, I hate when people throw out switchable. I think that it's a very overused term and denies a lot of context um, because you have to, like you're, like you've mentioned, like you have to look at, okay, well, as good as the Adriatic league is, it is not the NBA. Like you're, if you can switch one through five in the Adriatic league, that's awesome. But you're, you're not doing that against Damian Lillard. You're not doing that against a lot of players in the NBA. So like looking at him, I think he's a guy who can maybe defend, two or three positions uh, while doing some really quality, quality off ball defense. And uh, you can view him as somebody who, who will contribute on ball as a defender as well. But um, yeah, I think that's my really long interest. That he's going to be a plus on defense. I really like his ability to be physical yes. on either end of the floor. Like you said, he's not scared, but he's not just scared about getting dunked, but he's not scared about, you hitting him physically. He does, and, and I don't know how much of uh, Denny Abdiya from the Wizards you, you watched previous, previous to the draft, but what I loved about Denny is that he didn't have, and this is not a comparison. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. I, I don't do player comparisons, but one thing I loved about Denny is that he wasn't this explosive rim protector, but he knew how to defend with his chest and he had, his fundamentals, he knew what, how to beat his men to the spot, especially he knew how not to foul. And, you know, that's at times is more effective than just, okay, being a, this explosive rim protector. And mm-hmm. one of the things that he had is that being so strong for his age um, and for his size is that he can absorb that contact and he, he doesn't care. And I think Rogo has some of those same qualities. Um, Rocco falls a bit more, but he's someone who I think goes more outside of his comfort zone to try to make plays. And, and I just think that he's a player who 
again, it's not afraid of physicality and just is able to absorb any type of contact. And I think that that has a way to translate to, to the NBA. And I, I, I want to stop by, by one of your points, which is the, the term switchable. I think I completely agree in the sense that people seem to think that NBA, since NBA defenses play man defense most of the time, it seems that there's this concept of NBA defenses are played in five different islands. Mm. And that's not the case. How defense exists, uh, coverages, uh, switches, etc. So in the other day, I was I, I made a mistake of going into the NBA draft Reddit. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, going on the NBA Reddit is always a mistake. Oh, man. And, and I think there's a lot of good content there, but someone was arguing that Usman Garuba wasn't a good defensive player because he was going to get exploited on switches by Trey Young and Steph Curry. And I was like, uh, yeah, who doesn't get exploited? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like we are on a league that is officiated in a way where the offensive player always has the benefit of the doubt. So yeah, that's about to happen, but that's not where defensive value lies. So with Rocco again, yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable putting him on an island against the likes of Curry, Trey Young, whoever. But would you be comfortable putting any prospect against them? Nope. How many pros- <laughs> How many prospects a year you can go and say, oh, he's he's going to be out there shutting down Curry. How many, if any? And I, I also feel like I'm not going to say that point of attack defense is overrated, which is kind of a hot topic in draft Twitter at times, and I completely disagree. I, think I agree as point well. Of, yeah. Point of attack defense is super necessary. But at the end of the day, if point of attack defense is the only thing you can do on defense... I, I I don't think there's a ton of value in just doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I I definitely agree on 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 the defense. My question to you will be, and do you think when you say he can cover multiple positions, do you see him as a five in the same way that a Nick Batum was a five? For the Clippers in the playoffs, because that's uh, that's uh, an outcome that I've been thinking for Rocco a lot. I think that's honestly that's a great way of putting it. I think um, I don't. I'd have to check Nick Batum's wingspan. I feel like Nick Batum's wingspan is a little bit bigger than Rocco's, but in terms of positionality and the way that you can play, he has kind of a very similar body type and movement ability. Like so, I could see that. Um, like, I think he's going to be somebody who's going to provide, like, he. I would trust him as, like, a help side rim protector. Like, he can uh, kind of, like, I mean, he's he's very different from Scotty Barnes, but more looking at, like, somebody who's not going to block shots by being an awesome leaper, but because they're in the right place, they're going to impact and alter things at the rim. So I could see that for sure. Um, again, it would just be a lot of the offense, like we're going to talk about. But, I mean, I think he's somebody who uh, – with time like obviously he's he's 18 right now so I don't want to throw him at LeBron or Paul George or Kawhi Leonard but like I think he's somebody who as he fills out like one of the things that's impressive about him right now is like considering where his body is at already at 18 
is something that I think is like his physicality, like we mentioned, his ability to jostle with somebody at his it, it, as young as he is right now. Like, um, he's not somebody who I think should be a post defender super often, but like looking at like we mentioned this before we got on, um, he played against Alperin Shangun, uh, in the Eurobasket qualifiers when Croatia played Turkey. Um, and I think Sangin probably had a better game overall, but I thought Rocco looked like the better prospect in that game. Um, he had some fantastic moments defending Sangun and actually threw him off quite a bit with his physicality. Uh, Sangun's a little bit bigger than him, definitely a little bit heavier. Um, but Rocco plays with such, such great, uh, he, he's so good at using angles, uh, very good at just knowing his size and knowing how to use it against others as well. Um, so I think he's going to be somebody who can defend bigger wings in the NBA with time. And I like the idea of him, you know, eventually being like a small ball five in some scenarios for sure. I, I want to kind of stop on the, on his rebounding profile because yeah. he has been a, a really prolific rebounder. And I think it's in part because of aspects we already discussed from him, the toughness, Um, you know, the motor, the just ability to go out there. And this year, 26% defensive rebounding, 10% offensive rebounding, uh, and 18% total rebounding overall. And that's and that correlates with, with previous years. And that's the uh, obviously not something that's going to translate to the NBA immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, but It's I, I think it's encouraging that his both his splits at Croatian League and Adriatic League are pretty much the same in this regard. So I think and that's the rebounding profile of a true big, like not not maybe the elite, you know, rebounders a la Andre Drummond or a Balanchunas or something like that, but you know those. Six foot ten, six foot eleven type of bigs uh, who really help in rebounding, and I think that's you know rebounding uh, at times is a kind of an overlooked and seems to be thought of as, as an overrated um, skill. But I think when you talk about someone who, like we said, might be able to play the five in some positions. And when we get to the offensive side of things, we, we, we can get into that. But when you talk about someone potentially playing the five, I think that ability to get defensive rebounds and that ability to generate extra possessions for your team uh, is, is going to be something that, that, that maybe translates to the NBA and help him uh, not be a huge, not be a negative in, in, at any position as a big, you know? Yeah, no, that's such a great point, um, especially, too, because there are a lot of um, like just I, I think we've as we've gone towards I, I think it's less about positionless math, basketball, more about having positional versatility and just skill versatility across positions would be the way I'd put it, like having guys who are able to fill the needs on the floor, regardless of position is so important, especially looking at at, at rebounding, because I do think I completely agree. Like, I think. Um, especially offensive rebounding. Like it's less about offensive rebounding, more about are you, is your team good enough at boxing out and, and playing defensive? Like, I mean, rebounding is a very important part of defense that I think gets often discounted. Like you can play great defense. Like we've seen the Suns have, have struggled with that in the finals. Like 
even if they play a really solid defensive possession, if you give up an offensive rebound, okay, well, that negates the last 30 seconds of what you were doing defensively. Um, so that's a great point. And I think one thing with him, though, uh, I always I, – I, I mean, because I'm still getting used to, to scouting. Like, I don't know how, how much I should nitpick fundamentals. He is not very good at boxing out right now. Like, he just – he gets rebounds because he's able – like, he outfights people for them. That's a lot harder to do at the NBA level. Like, I want to see him become a much better at boxing out and, like, he – can give up post position a little too easily sometimes too, but um, it's just a small nitpick I have. That's a good point. I think I trust NBA teams with teaching those sort of things, yeah, especially to 18 year olds. And with time, I've been, especially as I go and scout even younger players, but I'm way less concerned about certain fundamentals of the game because I, I, I trust NBA uh, developmental systems to, to teach them. With that being said, it, it's true that if he goes to a, a team that needs him to contribute right away, maybe they will need him to be ready mm-hmm. in this regard. And maybe I don't think not boxing out is something that you end up deeming a player, oh, he's unplayable because he doesn't yeah. box out. But, you know, it can, for a team that's, you know, hunting for the playoffs or etc., not boxing out can lose you a couple of games and make you drop a couple of, of C, uh, like, you know, make you drop from the fourth to the sixth seed and, you know, your playoffs look completely different. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I I I I I I get it is, and it's something to monitor. But I I trust I trust NBA teams to to teach that through repetition and through drills, as I as I do trust NBA teams to teach a bunch of stuff if they notice that that's something to that that should be taught. So, no, oh, that's a really great point. Um, so we are definitely on the same page with the defense. I believe we both think he's going to be a positive. Um, so I, I'm imagining a lot of our difference comes on the offensive end, uh, which is where I think there's still a lot for him to figure out. Um, but I just really like the baseline that he already has. Um, he presents himself as a really quality slasher already. Um, like he's got a functional handle. He's capable of getting himself to the rim and he has really good touch around the rim too. Um, like he has solid touch on floaters um, he still has to work. I think I can't remember if it's, he's very one-handed dominant. Like he will throw some other things up with his offhand, but he normally goes to one of his hands. I can't remember the hand off the top of my head, which is my bad for not having that written down, but, um, I do like what he brings around the rim. And again, with that physicality, like he, some of the dunks that he had this season were pretty impressive. Like in that same Eurobasket game, he dunked on Alperin Sangoon, which was, uh, one of the better ones that I've seen in the, the prospect scouting cycle, um, I think a lot of the questions are going to come from his jump shot, uh, which we'll get into, but I mean, how do you feel about his ability to get to the rim? Because I think that's where a lot of things start for me with him. To me with his ability to get to the rim and I'm, I'm going to sound like a, like a broken record because I, I think this is to me, the key with his offensive skills to me, and you you use the word baseline, and I think there's a baseline of ball handling there 
that it's super interesting for a player his size, mm. right? I, I do think that the ability to put out the ball on the floor is there. Um, I just think, and here's where I would kind of bump the brakes with him, that he's a better ball handler and athlete overall in space than in short areas. And I think, so what, what that means is that he gets a closeout or he gets a favorable matchup or, you know, the defender is naturally off balance when he's coming to face him in the perimeter and he will take advantage of that. He will take off. And once he's out of his man and you give him two steps, he's going to get to the rim with a lot of momentum and that's going to make it for a lot of highlight worthy dunks because he is just, I think he has, he has really good. Uh, I, I don't know if it's the strength. I just think the long legs allow him to take long strides and gain a lot of momentum going to the rim. Um, and if he can, you know, again, get by his men, pick up his dribble, take once to, two steps and, and dunk on you, he will be great at that. However, I don't know if he's fluid or creative or quick enough to create his own drive out of nowhere. And I think in that same Croatia versus Turkey game, we saw Croatia not sending any screens this way. They they just let gross. him ice. It was so. very gross. Both they sides, just, both sides yeah. were doing absolutely like I had no like <laughs> they just had Sangun out on the perimeter, like space to the corner all the time. And I was like, what are we doing here? But yeah, a, a, a random aside. So and 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 to me in that game, he wasn't particularly successful at getting anything going one-on-one. And we could argue that okay, if you put if he gets a switch and you put a five on him or a small or a slower, bigger four, he can, he can get by him. I just don't know if that's going to be the case for him. I just think he needs either screens or very, very favorable matchups or a defender of balance or, or in, or closing out. So that's with the initiation. And then in the middle of the drive, I do believe that he's better at, like I said, picking up his dribble, taking long strikes and getting to the rim than when he's forced to put the ball on the floor. Mm -hmm. And a lot of turnovers, and I don't have the stats for this. I don't know if anyone keeps the stats of, you know, where turnovers are generated, uh, at least in Europe, but... I think most of the turnovers that I've seen from him until this point is him being forced to handle the ball in traffic and, you know, getting, uh, not being able to change directions, not having that shiftiness to, you know, protect the ball and getting, you know, swiped or, or just walking into tough situations, walking into crowds and et cetera. And I just think that that sort of shiftiness and short area quickness are two of the things that I think are harder to develop as you go on. And so that's why I don't think I see him as this, you know, super great drive creator, but definitely someone that if you put him in the perimeter, kick the ball to him and, 
you know, his defender is off balance, he's going to be able to attack and create yet another advantage and make stuff happen. But not so much into some as someone who's going to do something in the half court without a screen, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think I actually I definitely agree with you there. Like, I think part of the reason I'm higher on him is because of the defense and some of the playmaking stuff we'll get into as well. Um, yeah, I don't see him as somebody who's going to initiate much offense in the NBA at a high level. Um, like, I think like I agree, having the screens would be really nice for him. Like, he's very good with the short with the, the long strides and, and the burst. Um, that he gets off of, you know, having a catch and drive. Um, the standstill stuff is not great. One of the things that I do find intriguing, though, like in that same same Turkey game, he has a fantastic drive without without a screen. And I really am intrigued by his ability to kind of uh, post. It's it's not post. It's not straight posting up, but his ability to just kind of maneuver once he gets into the key with his footwork is something I find really impressive. And I think. Part of it is tough because he's going to rely on a very difficult diet of shots doing that. Um, like, again, not the same player, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of like looking at TJ Warren. Like TJ Warren is like a very strong player. He's not somebody who's going to create a lot of um, separation by himself, but he's good at um, kind of fluidly moving in and out of the post, uh, just contorting his body to get into those, those shots. And I think Roko has shown a little bit of that with his uh his ability to just kind of like his spin like he's really good with that spin um to his right hand uh and I, I know the 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 data if i remember correctly the, the data on the the right hand like floater is not amazing but it just the touch is there and you can see it um so maybe i might be a little bit too high on that but i do think he's showcased a little bit of that uh to where if he has a drive that gets congested um he could uh you know maybe function and, and workshop something out of that i do think he's and that's a great point i do i do think he's capable of keeping control of the ball against not against traffic but if you put him one-on-one mm -hmm. and he has a smaller defender on him he'll just bully his way to the rim and that comes with again the strength, the toughness, the motor, the not being afraid of physicality. He'll just put a shoulder on you, create space, and get to the rim. And I love that. I love, I think the best, my, the most enjoyable moments for me watching Roko is with, with, just when he bullies people, when he says, get the out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> You're smaller <laughs> than me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you inside. Um, I just think, and this is a question probably, but how many of those switches he gets against NBA-level defenders? And not only that, but I think smaller NBA defenders are more pesky, more, you know, if, if you try to bully them, you might bully some of them, but others will just swipe up at the ball and, you know, make you get tangled up with the dribble. So... I think it's something that's going to translate to the NBA, but in a certain degree. But it's, it's, it's true that I, in my initial um, thoughts, I didn't consider the fact that the same way he can get switches against bigs and exploit them out of, out of the quickness that the bigs don't have, uh, he can get switches against smaller players and just bully the heck out of them. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a potential for him, definitely. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because I uh, I'm just really interested to see like because 
again, like a lot of it is like we're talking about with baseline, like he's shown some stuff out of the post. Um, I don't particularly think he's an awesome post player right now. Um, there have been moments where it looks really good, but I think that's something where it's not good enough to, to really be something he's going to do at the NBA level, but I'm hopeful like, okay, maybe if he gets opportunities in the G league, because I think it, I'm, I would be shocked if he doesn't play in the G league because, and that's not a bad thing. I want, like, I think we're starting to see this trend differently now. Like we saw a lot more guys who were lottery picks play in the, in, in the G league this year. It's a good thing to go and get those reps because if you're not playing that much at the NBA level, because you're not ready, go develop at a level that's just about the NBA level. That's a good thing. Um, but I, I like, I'm, I'm just curious. I feel like there are, are avenues that we'll go through and that, that can transition us to the playmaking. Um, that's where I get really intrigued by him because I do think like, again, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be an initiator in, in any real sense, but he has an ability to, I, I think uh, he's shown some stuff as a short role playmaker um, he just makes very good, quick decisions. He, he sees the court pretty well, um, especially for somebody who doesn't handle the ball uh, like a lead guard. Um, I like, again, like out of the out of the post, he makes really good passes, which, again, those are things he's probably not going to demand. But it's something you could see as an avenue later on. Um, and he kind of reminds me of like, again, I, I, we're not trying to make comps, but just in terms of contextualizing this for people who haven't watched him play, like he reminds me a lot of Aaron Gordon. Of, of for how he gets his playmaking like Aaron Gordon does a lot of stuff uh you know he'll be like Steve Clifford used to drop a ton of things where he would be cleared out on the side of the perimeter use his height use his vision to see the court and and get an, an, an open pass to somebody moving uh you know com- moving coming off a screen or anything like that and I think Rocco sees the court exceptionally well from the perimeter uh and operates outside in very well moving the ball um, so I like that from him as well. And he, he just has some really good touch lead passes. He'll throw out some pocket passes every now and again. Um, like he's not somebody who I think is going to run like 10 pick and rolls a game, but you could see him running some second side actions and doing things like that at the next level. Yeah. He does a really good job of reading situations and reacting quickly to them. Uh, he has this, and not to bring Denny Abdiya back, but one of the things that I enjoyed most about watching Denny last year, uh, I mean, the year before the draft was, you know, those threaded passes in transition kind mm-hmm. of full court when he finds an angle among every player running in transition and delivers the ball right to uh, his his teammates' hands. I think Rocco does a lot of that, and that's to me speaks about the ability of reading a defense quickly and, you know, just being able to act on it. And he also does some of that type of situational playmaking, Um, you know, just being able to do the small things that maybe don't show up on the stat sheet, just, you know, moving the ball, finding open shooters, making the extra pass. And I think that, type of situational playmaking is what he's going to do the most at the NBA, which is, I think, extremely, extremely valuable. But like you said, I, so that I think brings you the potential for him to develop some type of initiation uh, abilities in the future. Like you said, I don't think that is leading to him getting 10 pick and rolls per game as a handler or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, the word baseline, 
he has the baseline of passing. Um, how much he develops into that? I don't know. If, if, if that's me from what I've seen, I say, okay, he's going to be a positive. He's going to move the ball and he's going to make the right decisions. But again, not someone that you give the ball in a primary or a secondary level in terms of the, the amount of possessions and the offensive load that, that he carries. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that can bring us to the shot because that is uh, going to be the swing skill for him. Uh, because if he's going to be capable of, of hitting consistently from deep, um, that unlocks the ability for him to do a lot more than I think he, he's going to have right away. Um, like just looking at the numbers right off the bat, like his shot was fine uh, in terms of, I think he shot like around 33, 34% uh, this past year. Um, the free throw shooting is down quite a bit lower, um, but there are some real mechanical things with the shot that are just rough. Um, but at the same time too, I just, all right. So my basis with the shot, and I, I wonder if, are you, I wonder if you're lower, before, I've been part of it's a question, but I wonder if you're lower because of the shot. Um, I know there are a lot of questions about it, but I feel like in looking at the shot in general, so his mechanical issue is his feet are all over the place when he takes a three, like it's uh it's very consistently not consistent is, is a good way to put it. Um, he has like this kind of big leg kick, uh, pretty significant valgus collapse, if I remember correctly. Um, and his legs can kind of splay out too, uh, which is just, it's not great. Like you, regardless, like most importantly, as I've learned, I'm not a, a shot expert, but as I've gone deeper and learned more things, you want it to look as close to the same mechanically every single time. And he is very much so not doing that. Um, but in some ways, I think that that's almost a good thing because the shot is bad, but you can tell that a lot of it is because mechanically he has a lot of inconsistencies and those are things that he could iron out and work on. I, so one of the, I, I don't want to say philosophies because it's, too big of a word, but let's use philosophies. Mm -hmm. So one of the philosophies I, I adopted this past year is that I trust NBA teams to develop the shot and to get the shot right for prospects more oftentimes than not, mm -hmm. especially for younger players. So in that sense, do I think Rocco is going to develop into a solid spot-up shooter? Hundred percent, definitely. I think just because of the percentage, the percentages, the touch, the flashes of versatility, and when I mean the flashes of versatility, is um, he's not just able to uh, shoot and convert spot ups, but he's also you know he can come out of a screen and 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 make a jumper off the dribble, some isos at times, especially from the mid-range, some jumpers out of post-ups, like face-up jumpers, he, he does as well. So I think that ability to convert shots in different situations, to me, speaks well about his shooting touch going into the next level. Uh, so I do think if I have to bet on it, and you were to tell me, does Rocco become a 35% three-point shooter mostly on spot-up attempts, yeah, I do think he's going to become that rather sooner than later. Um, my question is, 
do you think the flashes of versatility lead up to something else? That's and, what's really important because like that, that changes things. And that to me is, and I don't want to say the swing skill between NBA player or not. To me, that's the swing skill between like a six foot nine player with a baseline of driving and like situational passing and neutral to positive defense that can also shoot off the dribble. That's what a lottery pick, that's what the, your third best player on the 50-wing team. So if you believe in that, yeah, let's go. Let's go in the Rocco bandwagon. Let's take him top 15. But if you don't believe in that, like that's a huge swing. And maybe he becomes this, maybe he never develops that versatile shot, but he becomes so proficient as a spot-up shooter that you have a stretch four. And that's okay, and that's super valuable. But the difference in value between him developing as a shooter off the dribble versus just being a spot-up shooter at his size, that's where, that's where the whole swing lies, I guess. So that's my question to you, I guess. Do you see him as this type of player that can develop that shot versatility and that shot creation in the perimeter? That's such a great question. I think the biggest thing with this, and uh, it, it wants me that I want to hit on a quick philosophy point as well, because something that I've really, like like you mentioned, adopting something recently, like I have as well. Like I think um, part of it was Seth Partnow wrote a really great piece. Uh, I think it was earlier this year or in 2020 um, about the importance of like how, how sh you know, shooting percentage from three doesn't really mean as much as, as we tend to attribute it to. Like it is better to have, somebody like Marcus Smart who is going to take seven threes no matter what than having somebody who's going to shoot 40% like Tony Snell on like two threes per game. Like you need somebody who is always going to shoot because that's going to command more gravity from the defense. Um, so I think in looking at this, and I would, I would take that a step further too. And I think in some ways we have just as a uh, saying culture sounds extreme, but like, as a, as a basketball uh, group think in some ways, I think shooting has gotten overrated. Like I think shooting is very important. Like being able to shoot from three is massively important, but you can find a replacement level three point shooter anywhere. You cannot find many people who are able to shoot off of movement, who are able to shoot off the dribble at an efficient enough level to do it consistently. So this is where it comes and is really big. Like that's where I'm so, uh, that's why I'm high on Roku because I do think he's going to be somebody who even like I would be willing to, to take him in the lottery because he has shown that he's willing to do it and it doesn't look bad. And knowing that the mechanics of the shot can be improved is what has me really intrigued by the idea of, okay, even if this doesn't happen at the NBA right away, I think that's something I want him to take like eight threes per game in the G League. Let's see, okay, can you take two or three off the dribble threes per game? Even if it doesn't look great, we want to workshop it and see what happens. Like, I think, like, just the fact that, A, he's willing to take that because there are a lot of players who just aren't willing to take a shot like that if they don't think it's going to go in. Um, 
I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't have a great answer for whether or not I think it will happen, but um, I think like we're mentioning, like if, if that does hit, it unlocks everything else for him. And, and that's what allows him to be um, like, even if it doesn't hit, like he is already a very toolsy um, multi, multi-positional multi defender who can do things offensively. Like, I just think uh, it's so much worth betting on, in my opinion, that, that I would struggle to not take him lottery, which maybe is part of why I'm not working in a front office right now. <laughs> the thing is, and then I'm going to ask you a question about who would you take, but the thing is, if, if projecting shooting value at the NBA level or shooting potential at the NBA level is hard, it's even harder to project who is going to become a versatile shooter and who won't. Yeah. And a lot of times that comes down to, yeah, it's repetition involved and how much you worked on it. And, and I, in my case is, I think in how many situations you've been put in when you need that tool previously in your career and then you take it to the NBA. That's why I think shot volume is a is an underrated aspect of whenever people are projecting a shooter. Like you said, a 40% on two shots per game is not as valuable as seven shots on 35, 36%, right? And we could break that it down into someone who takes from those seven shots, someone who takes five shots off the dribble or five difficult shots off the catch, like coming off screens and etc., is more valuable than someone who makes them at a higher clip, but only on spot-ups. So there's a lot of moving parts. And unless you are a already an accomplished versatile shooter in the college or international junior ranks, it's hard to project who is going to become that type of shooter and who won't. I think touch is something that's a pretty subjective term that mm -hmm. I personally don't know how to really define. It's something that you know when you see it. I agree. Like, I, I don't, like, somebody asked me that the other day, like, what is touch? And I'm like, you know, I don't really know how to, how to define that. I just, uh, like, you see a you player. Think and you, it's something yeah. that you think you know when you see it, but you might not know it. Yeah, you yeah, know? exactly. Um, you could go and say, okay, floater percentage is, uh, like, you know, how many floaters he takes how many difficult layups uh even i think here's a kind of a crazy theory that i have but i think accuracy in passes at times can lead to good you know touch no i think that actually makes a lot of sense like if you think about it like it's an it's a kind of preliminary thing you're doing something with your hands if you place the ball well moving it's it, about aiming yeah. It's yeah. about aiming, and I think touch at the end of the day is how well you aim the ball and are able to put it on a place. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's really difficult and not something that I can comfortable with with saying Rocco is going to become this, you know, amazing pull-up shooter. And if he is, I think it's completely justified to take him, hell, even top 10. 
like in an average draft, like I said, I college players are out of my jurisdiction and I, I know the basics of this, this draft, but beyond the top five, I only watch them as, you know, as an spectator. Mm-hmm. Um, and the flashes are there. The flashes are definitely there, like I said, but I don't know how, how with how much consistency he's able to, to, to do that at the NBA. So I think that's where we get to like this middle ground where if you think he's really good, then yeah, definitely take him top 10. I'm not comfortable with projecting him at that level, even with the flashes, because to me, the flashes are too sporadic at this moment to really project him at that. I do yeah. think he's, he can become a, a really special and maybe even elite in a, in, in an optimistic outcome, I think he can become even an elite spot-up shooter. But the shot versatility is something that I, 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 I'm still on the fence with that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I still have a lot to learn in trying to figure out um, my own ways of trying to figure out, okay, is this guy going to be a great shooter at the next level? Um, it's, it's interesting, like trying to parse through these things and figure out what, what is most valuable. Um, like, I think part of it for me is, uh, like, I just think, um, like a four in the NBA or somebody who projects as like a big wing, uh, or even if they're not like a wing, even just somebody who's a forward that is going to be at least neutral on both sides of the ball. Like I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I think there are maybe nine forwards in the NBA right now who are six, eight to six, nine that are capable of handling the ball shooting and are at least neutral or above on both sides. And I think Roko has a chance to be one of those guys. So I think that's where it is for me is where I came down to um, what makes me so high on him. And even if I, I, I might change my mind up because this, this conversation has been great for helping me like kind of figure out where I'm at on him. Um, but I just think that it's, it's so close. And I tend to be somebody who goes like way too, gets way too excited about very small flashes. Um, but yeah, he's regardless, I think he's a, one of the more interesting case studies in this draft for sure on, on how you think about players. And I'm really interested to see how teams think about him as well, because I just haven't seen a ton reported on, on how they feel about him. And I mean, we're getting to the point where we're going to figure out a lot more about it. I I have a question for you Mm -hmm. with another prospect from this draft compared to Rocco. So you would be comfortable taking Rocco some somewhere in the lottery, maybe Mm -hmm top 10 we, we talked about this and especially because you think those flashes of shooting are going to lead to him becoming a a versatile shooter would you take him or do you have him in your board above franz wagner they're right about the same because i love franz wagner he's he's so good man because um, i think and again, I watch France as a as an spectator playing for Michigan. But you know, my thoughts on him on him come from him playing against Germany and again and sorry, him playing for Germany and for Alba Berlin in, mm-hmm. in Euroleague and uh, German league type settings. And I do think he is someone who I would say. Okay, he's going to become a versatile shooter at the NBA. 
So it's interesting for me because I've thought about this a lot with Franz and it's different because I have, I have not watched him with Albert Berlin, but in watching him in Michigan, um, the biggest separator for me is the, the, the lack of hesitancy from Rocco. Cause that was such a big problem for Franz was the hesitancy. And I'm, I mean, that doesn't bother me as much as I think it does for some people in looking at him. Like I still think I like Franz is borderline top 10 for me. He's, he's the guy who, the more I watch him, the more he rises up because I just don't see how he is not an impactful player at the next level. Um, but I, I just think like part of it is, I mean, it's not like he's that much older than Roko. I think he's only a year and a half older. Um, but in terms of just like the, is like for me, is Franz going to hit a point of being willing to take um, those threes? And that's the subjective and it's probably unfair. Like I, I wouldn't gauge it strictly on that. Um, but I think I just look at Roko and, I, I see the, like, the, uh, like, again, it's, it's so hard because it's subjective stuff to pull out. Um, they would be pretty close for me because I just think like with what Rocco brings, he's a little bit more athletic than Franz. Obviously Franz is a little bit more length and is a little bit bigger, but um, I, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I think it's like right around there for me. No, it definitely does. I, I just, I was, um, curious to see where people were on on France not that I think they have similar profiles but when we talk about a six foot nine guy you know having um shooting off the dribble as something that can take them from one level to the next I I just thought of France because to me he is a way better shooter in terms of percentages that that he showed at Michigan and maybe I'm focusing too much on, on his mechanics. And also the thing with France is when he left Europe, he was listed at six foot six, six foot seven. And what's, what's his measurements right now? Six foot nine, six foot yeah, 10. I think he's so just he, about six foot nine. He hit a late growth spurt. And in fact, I was, I was talking to Marius, uh, seven foot. Seven foot I love yeah. I love him. He's great. Yeah. And he told me that he was six foot one until he was 15 years old or something <laughs> like wild, that. Man. So he took, and something that we at times do not see is that players who grow late into their bodies are still trying to figure out the balance and a bunch of stuff. And maybe they have to change their mechanics and etc. especially when it comes to shooting. Um, and so I think, to me, France is a more clear player uh, when it comes to developing as a, as a versatile shooter at the next level. So, so that's where, where the question came. And maybe, maybe to close out Rocco, I go back to the Nick Batum type of five question, which is, to me, it's really interesting to think about Roko in that mode, not only defensively, but offensively. Mm -hmm. Because when teams in the NBA put those sort of players at the five, what they are wanting is a player that's not going to get most of the shots. They're not going to, like you said, run 10 pick and rolls a game. They're not going to trust them to create drives in isolation, but they can do a bit of both, a bit of everything in those areas. They can do it bit of handling, a bit of passing, and a bit of shooting. And if you have that at the five, that's a huge advantage against teams that have a traditional five. And I'm not talking about, 
oh, he's going to play Gobert off the floor because I don't think and many yeah, players well, in today's Nobody NBA played Gobert off the floor anyways, yeah. but, you know. It's... And I don't think many players get, quote-unquote, played off the floor. I mm-hmm. think different lineups bring different things. Yeah. Uh, but I just think putting Rocco as a five that does all of those things um, I, or, or I, what I think is Rocco gives you the possibility to have five players on the floor who all do shooting, ball handling and passing to some degree and I think in an NBA where positions get redefined seemingly each offseason depending on who were, was successful the previous year I think we're going to see a lot of redefinition of the five position. And I think maybe the five position next year looks a little bit more like Rocco than we, than it has looked so far in the NBA. So that's, I guess my, my question and my, you know, cause for optimism with him. I think fives in the NBA are going to start look more and more like Rocco than, than previously. Yeah, no, that's such a, I do have one last thing I want to hit on with that uh, before we get out of here, because that's such a great point because in the last five years, we have seen this really fascinating shift because for me growing up, all right. So my favorite player was Rudy, Rudy Gay. I love Rudy Gay. Um, just a really fun player to watch play basketball, even if it didn't always translate in, in the ways that I think people wanted it to. Um, like he, so him, Thaddeus Young and Jeff Green are three of, the more intriguing players to me over this last half decade, because they all went from guys who really struggled to find a position in the NBA. Like Rudy came in kind of as a shooting guard, which is still wild to me to think about Um, played as a three, but was never quite the playmaker to be a, a, uh, a lead shot taker at the three. And we saw issues with that in Memphis and Toronto and some, some extents, um, and then when he got to San Antonio, really thrived as a four who could attack mismatches, who became a lot better as a defensive player. Um, and now he's played a little bit of the four or five. We saw Thaddeus Young go from being a guy who was a three, a three when he came into Philadelphia, but was still more of a tweener. He wasn't big enough to play up against most fours in the early 2010s. And now he's at a stage where he plays as a small ball five a little bit. And same thing with Jeff Green. He went from somebody who was – uh, a really athletic three with ball skills, but he wasn't quite good enough of a playmaker. Wasn't quite there. Um, it wasn't always perfect for matchups against th- smaller threes on defense became more of a four and now plays as a small ball five a lot. I wonder if we start to see even more of that, like as we saw tweeners become uh, as the, as the NBA started to shift, we saw these guys who were branded more as tweeners and struggled to find landing spots they were able to become some of the better role players in the NBA because of their versatility and skill set. Um, I'm curious to see how that, that plays out in the next couple of years because that's such a great point. I, I heard a quote this week that they are attributing to a Chinese general or ruler from the, I don't know what century. I, I wish I had the quote really. But the, co- the quote was, so I wish I had the name, yeah, <laughs> but... Um, so it was pretty much a general that was uh, obsessed with acquiring talent for his ranks, right? Mm-hmm. And he was out there looking for people to join him. And his motto was, 
if you have a skill, we'll use it. Doesn't matter if it's not useful right now, or doesn't matter matter your if you're physically unable, or if you're shorter, you you're taller, whatever. If you have a skill, we'll find a way to use it. And I think that's what the MBA is becoming from a few years now. But I think we are seeing more and more from those examples you put out. And I think BJ Tucker is probably one of the most publicized examples of being shorter playing out of position, but he does have a skill and he found a team to use it. So at the end of the day, and we didn't even touch on this, but fit is such an important part of this uh, and find a team that can see what Rocco does. And instead of focusing on what he doesn't have, Yeah. or focusing on what he doesn't do for his size, say, okay, he does this, this, and this, we can use it. And that's going to be valuable for us. And I think the NBA is going that way. And the five position is going that way. I think that's the one that got, has been more redefined in the last few years, but in a way, every position is going there. And so I think it's the perfect time for players like, Rocco to come out in the draft and find a team that values that same, you know, group of skills and not put those group of skills and say, oh, but he's undersized for the five position. Oh, he's too slow for the four. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, and, and I think not to extend the subject, but that can be said for, I think the top four international players in this draft, if you look at Garuba, if you look at Schengen, if you look at Giddy, all those three guys plus Rocco, maybe five years from now, definitely 10 years from now, would have been, oh, he's too undersized, he's too slow, he's too, you know? And yeah. now they, they don't have to go through that because they have skills and a team's going to find, find out how to use them. That is such a great point, and uh, I think a really great way to cap this off. Um, this was awesome. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, Ignacio. Like, I, I was not expecting us to go in all directions that we did, and it was great. Um, is there anything that you want to plug, or where, where can people find you and your work at? Obviously, I'll, I'll have links to, to ID Prospects in the, in the description box, but uh, any, anything that you, wanna, you want people to know about? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, Airball, E-Y-R-E, Ball. That's my Twitter handle. If you want information on international prospects or just the regular basketball useless hot take, just follow <laughs> me there. Uh, I work for ID Prospects. Like you said, we are on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, ID Prospects in, 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 in everywhere. And our website is id-prospects.com where I... Um, work with a lot of way more talented people than me and we retweet their stuff from uh, from the sites account so definitely check it out and yeah I just want to thank you for so much for 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 uh, inviting me and whenever you uh, need to talk about international prospects or <laughs> pretty much anything Uh, just let me know and I'll, if, if I know something about it, I'll, I'll definitely uh, be here talking to you.
Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Well, everyone listening, uh, of course, go follow Ignacio and ID Prospects and everything that they're doing because it is worth it. They also have a really great podcast you should listen to as well. And most importantly, just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.